Kingmaker, a podcast brought to you by First National Bank of Syracuse. At FNB, we strive to make sure that every life we touch is improved. Join us for each episode as we cover a wide range of topics, from financial wellness and marketing to mental health and ways to enjoy life overall. We may even teach you a thing or two about cultivating healthy soil. We are here to improve your life and so glad you've joined us today. Now, here are your hosts for today's episode of Dream Maker. Welcome to this week's episode of our Dreammaker podcast. I'm Chris Floyd, President and CEO of the First National Bank. And with me this week, I got a special guest. So we have Matt Bennett. He is our Chief Lending Officer. And Matt works out of our Eastside branch there in Garden City. And uh, this week, our topic is our Jolene Brown seminar that we had just right before Thanksgiving. Uh, Jolene specializes in farm family business transitions. And uh helps uh she consults families kind of get through the process of how they do that so uh, it was a really good seminar and so matt and i thought we'd just get to here and talk about you know things that are, uh that we liked from it and there's things that we thought would maybe be of value to you guys so first of all matt i didn't warn you about this very good but why don't you kind of give us a little history and tell us a little bit about you in case um somebody hasn't got to work with you yet sure Thanks, Chris. Well, hello, everybody. Like Chris said, my name's Matt. Um, I'm at our East Branch in Garden City. Um, worked for the bank for well, a long time now, but probably 16 years or more. Uh, farm kid from central Kansas, so grew up on a farm north of Larned. Uh, so worked on the farm up until college, went to school at uh, Pratt Community College for two years and then Fort Hay State. Um, Played a little baseball along the way, and then I uh, got my degree in finance from Fort Hayes. Um, started my career shortly as a commodity broker and uh, got good experience there, but f- figured out I was take a while to uh, make much money at it. So I uh, ended up taking a bank job and been in banking ever since. So, yeah, so a lot of good experience. And uh, so when did you start banking? I've kind of. Um, 1998. 98. So, yeah. So, you're like, shoot, way over 20 years now. So, I'm about to catch up to some of the rest of us. Well, if there's video on this, you can see all my gray hair. And, yeah. You have know, <laughs> some experience. Yeah. Uh, so, one of the things I got to start with that I really, I guess, especially the first time I heard Jolene talk was it really kind of hit me, I guess. And part of it, too, is like, you know, I'm kind of like you. I grew up on a farm. And, you know, and so it's kind of probably one of the more oh, family-oriented businesses where there's a lot of family businesses, I guess, that are farms versus some others we run into is, you know, she kind of really talked about the concept of having a business-first family versus a family-first business. And essentially kind of how you get that wrapped around of we need to run this as a business first and then, you know, not – this your family i guess there's a way to do that i don't know what do you think about that matt or how does that does that kind of make any sense to you too or not or what do you think yeah it made a lot of sense and you know um whether it's a farm or any family business i think um well a lot of times the next generation just kind of does whatever dad did or grandpa did 
you know, and that's just, well, that's the way we've always done it. And dad didn't talk about that stuff, so I'm not going to bring it up. And, you know, so I thought it was a good point. And Jolene has some good stories about that. But, um, you know, I don't know about you, Chris, but I think generally people don't like uh, confrontation. And so, you know, sometimes, although it's not the best thing, the easiest thing is just to not do anything or not say anything when it comes to transition or estate planning or anything like that. Um, so I think it's sometimes it's that fear of confrontation that people will avoid the subject. Um, so it's nice when Jolene can talk about it and help people with that. So, you know what, it's, yeah, it's great to have a family involved, but you have to run it like a business. Otherwise at some point you won't have a business left. You know, if you don't put up, you know, set up some good rules and structure to it. Um, so yeah, I, I do agree with that philosophy. Yeah, and I think you're right on that confrontation, you know, because a lot of it, I think of, well, I've used the example too and talking with some people, like it seems like we're probably worse with confrontation with our families a little bit because, you know, you, I, I don't know, things kind of get personal too fast probably and, mm-hmm. and then emotions get involved and then, um, well, it's kind of like here at the bank, we're going through that um, oh, Crucial Conversations book and, you know, one thing they talk about that book is emotion you know, it's kind of weird how our, our mind's hardwired, but when you get emotion and adrenaline and stuff involved, it's like your mind just doesn't work as good. And it kind of, yeah. yeah, makes for some bad situations. Well, it can, especially when you have siblings involved. You know, I think most people that grew up with their siblings, you love them to death, but then you fight like cats and dogs. And so, you know, there's that part too that you have to factor in. Yeah. Also, it's kind of interesting. I don't know, you know, with my kids, I don't know about you, but it seems like it's amazing how different they are and different skills and different things. And, you know, I think in every farm business, too, you got family members with different ideas and concepts, which kind of make things a little bit uh, interesting, I guess you would say. But Yeah. 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 And, too, I like the point. I mean, she really made the point that, you know, um, you know, when you separate that right, I think then – you know, they're always part of the family. You know, that's a kind of an unconditional part of being part of a family, right? No matter what happens, you're part of our family. And I think that's really key. But well, but, that's a good uh, point. But I think some people think, well, yeah, if I manage it like a business and maybe this kid just isn't going to work in the family farm or the family business, I think their fear is that they're going to isolate him from the family. And you're right. That's not the intention. You're still going to be part of the family. You know, unconditionally, we're going to love you and you can come to Thanksgiving and eat pumpkin pie, but that's going to be different than the business side of things. You know, that's hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. That that is really, can be really tough. And because everybody has different expectations too. And it's hard to, I guess, have not have the rose colored glasses either. We're looking at what I can do or we're looking, you know, at some of what your kids are, uh, uh, even other family members are capable of doing, I guess, too. Kind of gets a little interesting, I would say, but what do you think, you know, because a lot of it, um, I guess there's all kinds of part of transitions, right? How to trans, you know, part of there's a technical ownership transition and then it's how you actually run the business is probably, I always thought was probably as most important thing else. What do you think kind of slows people down or makes it hard for people to kind of do that? Well, that's a good question. You know, um, I'll kind of answer it differently. You know, one of the things Jolene recommends, um, let's say you're one of the kids that wants to come back and work on the farm or whatever business it happens to be. She really um, recommends that you go work for somebody else. 
for at least two to three years. You know, so let's say you graduate college and before you come back and work on the farm, she is adamant that you go work for somebody else for that two to three years. And I think the more I think about that, the more I agree, because, you know, then you're going to go see how somebody else does things. You're working for somebody else. And that's just different than if you're working for your mom or your dad. You know, it's just different. You, they're going to hold you accountable. And if you show up late, they're not going to tolerate that word. You know, somebody else might say, oh, that's OK, Chris, tomorrow, just be on time. You know, so so Jolene is adamant on working for somebody else. And I, I really am a true believer in that. Um, it's, it installs that worth ethic. You're, you know, you're probably under a little more scrutiny than you would be with a family. And but you also learn things to answer your question originally. You know, I think you learn things that you can bring back to your family, you know, because a lot of times farmers are kind of isolated. They run their farm as best they can. But outside of their accountant, maybe their banker, you know, they don't really get exposed to what other people are doing or how they're running their business or, you know, things that could improve their farm that they're just not aware of. So I think working for somebody else, even if it's outside agriculture will be a benefit as you come back because you can bring back those ideas of, Hey, did you think about this dad? This is how they did it. Maybe we should consider that. Yeah. It's kind of funny when you're telling what you're talking about that, give me a thank you. That's kind of how I got into banking really was because, you know, working in the summers, uh, on my dad and uncle's farm, he's like, you need to go learn to work for somebody else. And, you know, and so I actually worked the worked the summer at the bank in Syracuse up there a couple summers while I was in college, but you know, it's just different dynamic, you know, it's the first time you ever work with other people. Um, and that, you know, kind of different kind of boss or different expectations. And yeah, it's, um, it just changes things the way you think about things quite a bit. So, it sure does. And it's probably hard to do that, you know, because you're kind of getting pushed out of the nest and you got to go do something on your own. Um, so that's probably a little scary um, yeah. for most people. I know it was for me. Uh, but then once you do it, it's like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And then you you get acclimated. And like I said, it, it, you'll learn lessons you, you'll use your entire life, you know, whether it's working for your family or not. Um, you'll learn a lot of things. And sometimes I think, too, is like, you know, for, well, you may think, well, I like this better. And, um, and I remember I had a conversation with one person that talking about how they felt like there was an expectation to come back or they would disappoint somebody if they didn't come back. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's not really the case, but you know, it's one of those other kind of call them crucial conversations you got to have to, and, and that's a lot of pressure too. I always figure, you know, that's, and I'm guilty that, you know, like you meet a kid that's a junior, senior high school is like, what do you want to be? And where are you going to college? Like, well, that's really not super fair. When you think about it, <laughs> you know, yeah. be 17, 18, you only got my whole life planned out. It's like, not really. But I think a benefit when you talk about working for somebody else is you can see like, well, maybe there's other things I like, or maybe like, I really appreciate being on that farm or family business more too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Hmm. You know, one thing she talked about, I thought was interesting that hinders some people from trying to get, you know, getting somebody involved is actually being able to live off that farm. Um, and I was trying to think, you know, it's like, you know, we look at loans every week, going through our loan committees and, and, or more often than not really as you're, you know, helping customers. But how, if you had to guess, Matt, and this is just a wild guess, like how many you think of our farm customers have a very significant amount of the retirement income that would come not from farm assets? Um, I would say very few. 
have anything. They they typically have a lot of equity in their land, and you only worked hard and built up that equity. But as far as income producing assets outside of you know the farm, whether that's stocks, bonds, you know whatever, it's a very small amount that we see. Um, and I think that's a hindrance because you know if you are that generation that's going to retire and hand hand it over to the next generation, it's you know that's scary if you don't have your own. Um, financial stability, um, that's scary because that's going to make you want to think, well, what am I going to do tomorrow if Chris is running the farm and I'm retired? And, uh, and that leads me to another thing, Chris, she mentioned was um, the number one job of a leader is to replace yourself. And whether you're running a farm or a bank or, you know, a, a big company, we need reminded as, of that as leaders in whatever business because that's hard because it's like, ooh, do that's kind of scary when you're training your replacement, whether it's a family member or a non-family member, because it's kind of like your own mortality, I guess I would put it. Yeah. And then you, yeah. So that's, that's an important point she made, but yet it's a hard one to, to implement, I think. Yeah. I guess, I guess there's probably a fear too. If you do too good a job of that and then you're like, you know, I'm 50 years old and I just don't have a job anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But, uh, you know, I can remember it's kind of funny grow up with my grandfather grew up on the farm, you know, um, seems like to me, he did a pretty good job of letting go and did stuff. And, and, uh, cause the funnest parts for me is like, we got to go do the, when I was like growing up, we got to go do the fun stuff. We didn't really have to work super hard, you know, uh, ride around and check things. And, you know, he, he did a really good job of just kind of letting go of that stuff. And, and, uh. But it's not always 100% the case. You know, everybody's different too, you know, kind of what they like and what they feel comfortable with. So, right. Yeah. Another sh- another thing she talked about that hinders transitions is just, um, I think she called it diversified, diversified interests. Um, I can't remember the term she used, but, you know, like, okay, I've done this for my whole life. I'm, I'm going to do something different. What am I going to do? You know, because farmers in particular are notorious for probably not taking the amount of vacations they should. Or, you know, if they take a vacation, they, they go to a, Royals game or something for a weekend and come straight back home and get back to work. So it could be that it's a little bit scary of, okay, I'm going to transition, but what am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah. It's hard to imagine that, you know, the effort you got to put in, especially running a farm, well, any business really, you know, but a farm seems like, you know, there's really some intense times a year that it's hard to, yeah, let go of that really. And, um, do stuff during the year, I guess would be really hard. So mm-hmm. yeah, I could see that'd be really tough. And then a lot of us, you know, a lot of people too, I guess, especially the more, I guess, entrepreneurial and the more you're doing stuff like that, it's almost in a bad way, a little bit that we kind of define ourselves by what we do. And then it's hard to imagine ourselves doing some being, you know, like Chris, the banker, well, what am I, if I'm not a banker, what am I? And, and uh, that's where I have something else I do and kind of being mostly ready, I think is kind of a, yeah, kind of a key deal. But, yeah. Yeah, it is. Uh, one of the things, you know, I thought was interesting and, you know, we, we see this every once in a while on customers that, you know, maybe get partnered up and got to get split out or, you know, you got a family business that things don't go as planned. But I thought it was kind of interesting how she had different ideas on different ways to get somebody out of a deal if it doesn't go well. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was what she called them, the deadly D's. I'm trying to remember them all. But, um, um, 
you know, there may be a different rule if somebody dies versus if they get hurt or disabled or, you know, I think, trying to think, um, hooked on drugs, you get divorced or just get tired of it. Um, but I thought that was kind of interesting how she had that split up where, you know, like, for example, if you just get tired of it and lose, they may pay out over 20 years or something versus if you die, well, you know, there should be life insurance too to help with that. But right, I thought right. that was kind of, and any ways to go about it, there's just not just one way to help somebody get out of a farm too or other business. But yeah, well, that's a good point because she mentioned uh, buy sell agreements, you know, because with when you move back to the farm, you start a business, it's, you know, everybody's excited and things are going well. Um, but then that's the time to be getting your paperwork in order, you know, especially that buy sell agreement that, okay, we hope everything goes according to plan and we never have to deal with one of the D's you just talked about, but you know, we're in reality and in real life, you're going to have to deal with those things. So why not craft your buy sell agreement as best you can? And, you know, your attorney can help you do that and they can make it, you know, flexible to your situation. You know, it doesn't have to be one that just comes off the shelf. And, um, but she was really adamant about having that buy sell agreement in place that can help you. Okay. This happened. Well, let's go to our buy sell. And this is how we operate. You know, it's not like, well, crap that happened. Somebody died yesterday and we have no idea what to do. You know, you're always going to have that sense of, Oh crap, this happened. And you know, you got that fear and panic, but if you have your, buy sell agreement and you know your other things uh, powers of attorney everything in place at least you have those to fall back on and that's your starting point from how you move forward um and the time to do it was when everybody's in agreement and live and uh that's the time to get those things uh at least on paper yeah because you like you said you know to me somebody i can't ties into what you really want from that you know, it's almost like a legacy, right? A lot of farms, you know, they kind of put that together. And how, how do they want that to go on? And and sometimes you get, you know, if you want to protect that, then you got to be able to have it set up to where uh, no matter what of those things happen, that, you know, the farm can make it out of there. You don't put the farm at risk, I guess. And that's, yeah, to me, right. kind of pretty key. Yeah. Well, then one thing I heard from somebody that attended Jolene was just, you know, they made the comment, we had all that in place, but then we kind of put it on the shelf and forgot it. But, you know, things change, you know, dynamics change. People get married, you know, people move away or change jobs. And it's always a good reminder to, hey, we should probably dust that off and go visit with our attorney and make sure we've got the changes made um, in our state plan or our trust or whatever you might be dealing with. It, you know, it's it's nice to have it done, but it's you need to continue to revisit every once in a while and make sure it's what you still want and still fits your situation. But, you know, one of the things I did coming home um, was like, you know, she talked about having a inventory of stuff updated and, and, you know, I had to go and find my will. Well, I found the copy and I had one, you know, the, the original mine safety deposit box, but you know, there's a lot of things that was set up in there was different. You know, both my uh, mother-in-law and father-in-law were alive at the time. My kids were little. Now they're both over 18. And so there's like, Ooh, a lot of changing that needs to get done that if you don't, you know, you kind of forget about those things that if you just don't come back to it, you're, yeah. it may not work like you really want to anyway. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. You know, one of the things uh, before I get totally off course here is like, I wonder um, if you notice this much with customers or not, but um, she gave a good example, like in her farm, uh, her and her husband, 
Um, they have daughters, and um, but they wanted that farm to be available. Like the daughters weren't going to farm, but they wanted that farm to be available for any of the grandkids if they want to start farming. Could use it. Could come back and try to farm at some point in time. And so they had a real goal of what they wanted that call it farm asset or what to be in the future. Do you ever see very many customer or what kind of different situations see where that's been pretty well defined or not defined or is that a good practice, I guess? Um, well, I would say it's a good practice. Now, in reality, I don't, there's a few people that have that well planned out, but I would say the majority of farm families do not have that. Um, you know, it's, it's kind of like, well, we'll think about that tomorrow or, you know, I will figure that out later. Now's not the time, you know, it's time to cut weed or plant corn or whatever. So again, I think it's one of those things that people tend to avoid that. I'm hoping that it'll work itself out. I won't have to worry about it. Um, so no, I don't see a lot of, I mean, there are a few Chris, but for the most part, I'd say that's an opportunity for most people to do a better job in their, in their plan especially when they don't have kids involved. You know, if you have kids involved, it's a little easier because that's kind of the natural progression. It's those families that, you know, maybe the kids went off to work and they decided, hey, the farm wasn't for me. Um, that's why I think it is a tough decision when you don't have kids or grandkids. It's like, yep. okay, um, who is going to take over this farm? And if there's nobody, what am I going to do? You know, because most people, that's their pride and joy. They built that farm, put all those assets together over 50, 60 years and, a lot of sweat equity in there and it's hard to give that up or make the decision well that we're going to sell it you know that's it seems like most people chris in the where we live are buyers of land and typically don't want to sell it unless there's a good reason and so um i don't know if i answered your question but for most for the most part most people are, aren't as organized as they could be in that in that area yeah. And like you said, a lot of people, I think, you know, you go through and you're trying to acquire and build and just sometimes they just, once you're in that bank, you just never get out of that. And, uh, so you're always, you just don't know, you just, you know, basically don't stop. But, you know, as she gave her example, I could think of just several instances around where, you know, we have a lot, and maybe it's just kind of a, I don't know if it's, uh, Oh, just the way, you know, the tough things that keep in small communities together may be part of it. But, you know, we have a lot of farms where there's not a next generation there on the farm, I guess, for lack of a better word. But, um, so I think it's one of those deals where a lot of people kind of in that, in that mode facing that, you know, what does happen. And, and, um, you know, I, you know, I was talking to somebody a little bit, a little bit ago and it's like, you know, there's so much to get thrust, you know, when you lose the one spouse goes, it's kind of, there's a lot of tough things that get forced onto the, the remaining spouse and, and a lot of big decisions. And I think if you don't define some of that stuff together up front, then it could be, you know, I, I think people, spouses get put in the, the surviving spouse can get put in a, a situation that's probably not fair to them, I guess. That, that makes any sense or not? But. No, well, for sure. Oh yeah. Total sense. It's not fair to them. It's not fair to the rest of the family. Um, but again, I think that goes back to people would rather not think about it. Chris It's like, Oh, I guess I'll let somebody else deal with that. And you know, I bet if they could go back in time, they would, they would, Oh man, wish I wouldn't have done that to my wife or my husband. I wish we would have had things planned out. Yeah. And if something happens to them, here's what you do. You know, here's where the safety deposit box keys are. Here's the passwords to 
you know, online banking, all those type of things that most of us have to deal with every day. And we don't give a second thought to it, but then you don't want to think about, okay, if I'm not here tomorrow, who would know where that is or who would know those type of things? Cause unless you write them down and, and have a good conversation, uh, people aren't mind readers. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's one of the things that, uh, probably the first thing I did after that seminar was trying to go through, she gave us an inventory of the things you need to be able to find and where they're at and, and it's kind of a good start, I guess, uh, when you go through that list. But, you know, it kind of makes you think and go find those things a little bit. And, um, you know, I, you know, of course, I live out in the country. So, um, you, got a little, you know, there's a guy that works on our water well, the guy that always done all the you know, electricity stuff and little things like that. Do you think if, you know, it could be a real pain or a lot easier if somebody actually knows that stuff, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It really makes you think of that. Well, and I'm come, kind of jumping around on you, but something uh, – well, so this is the second time we've had Jolene, right? We had her um, – Second, maybe three maybe, times, I think. Maybe three times. Yeah. So the last time we had her was two, three years ago, I believe. And, you know, when I went to that first meeting, uh, we were at our tables, and, you know, I was the one that had to raise my hand when she asked about estate plans and who's got something in place, and I was the one that didn't. So um, – so it was eye-opening to me. So then my wife and I, we went and visited the attorney. We got our plan in place. And um, so I feel much better. But my point is what I'm trying to say is some people may think, well, I don't know exactly how I want things. So therefore, I'm not going to go call my attorney yet until I know exactly what I want. Well, you know, we have a saying, done's better than perfect. So I would encourage everybody, even if you haven't started or don't know what you want to do, at least start the conversation with your spouse and your attorney or whoever, just to get it started and get something started. And it won't be perfect the first round, but at least you'll have to start. And then you can always tweak it later. But uh, I'm so thankful we did that because it, it, it's nice feeling knowing all that's done. But um, but the other cool part was, was when we were at the meeting at our table, Jolene had um, people hold it. So we had partners that were discussing the things and she, I don't know if she called it accountability buddy, but that's the term I use, you know, somebody to follow up and, hold you accountable for what you agreed to do. So there was a lady that was at our table and she came in the bank maybe a year later and said, Hey, do you remember me? I was at your table. And well, yeah, I do. She said, Hey, did you get your trust and wills in place? And I said, yes, I did. And I really appreciate you checking on that because you know, that's cool. She held me accountable to saying, Hey, I'm going to take action and get something started. Yeah, that's good. Cause I remember, you know, they kind of remind me cause uh, my cousin Clint is an attorney. So I took my, pile of papers over to him and, and we was talking about it and he said that's amazing how many wills and things that he works on and in a lot of times he said usually the biggest hang up is how do you handle the um oh cust- minor custodianship of the minor kids right mm-hmm. and there's a lot of them they get to that part and they can't make a decision and you know they just sit there and it's like you know, it's amazing the number of deals he does he said that don't get hundred percent finished because they got, you know, hung up on a little ideas here or there, but yeah. Um, but like you said, I think, yeah, done's better than perfect and you better just pick something and then, you know, change it as you go. Um, and I think we kind of did that my wife and I, that, um, you know, the first way we had it written for our kids to go was not how we wanted it later on. So, mm-hmm. you know, those things are changeable as long as you're around to do it, I guess. But, Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, just to keep that front of mind, what's all there and what you need to change. So, 
You know, speaking of children, Chris, I don't know if you remember, but she talked about, I think there was four things um, that, in her opinion, is what we owed our children. I don't know if you remember that part or what your thoughts were, but, you know, I think some of us think oh, we, we owe our children a, you know, free education. We owe them a brand new car when they graduate high school and, you know, the latest iPhone. Um, just because we want to be the best parents we can. But Jolene had a different opinion and I don't know what you think, but one of them she mentioned was the opportunity for an education, you know, which isn't the same as fully paid, you know, so it's the opportunity to go to school and you don't have to pay for it, but at least you gave them the opportunity, maybe help them a little bit, um, help them apply for student loans or whatever the case may be, but at least give them that opportunity. And, and, college isn't for everyone, you know, maybe it's a trade school or something different that fits that, that kid's specific needs, but at least they have the opportunity. Um, the other one, another one she talked about was, um, that legal and estate plan, you know, kind of like we're discussing, you owe it to your kids to have that in place. So they don't wake up one day and mom and dad are gone and they're just, okay, we got a blank page here. Where do we start? And then another thing she mentioned was a listing of Oh, the other thing, another thing she mentioned was listings details beyond the will. So, you know, kind of like we're talking about, where's the, you know, the password to whatever it might be, or, you know, those type of things that wouldn't be in the will, but still things you need to know, you know, just day-to-day stuff that mom or dad handled that nobody else would know where it's at, you know, life insurance policies, you know, long-term care insurance, all that type of stuff, you know, various stock accounts you have you know, CDs at the bank, those type of things that mom and dad would know where they're at and know exactly how much they're worth and those type of things. But did you write it down or at least let them know who to call so they can know where those things are at? You know, it's kind of amazing though, you know, over the years, how many times um, somebody's died and then the kids are looking for like CDs or who not in a lot of different banks. And, and there's, yeah, they just don't have that list of information. And so the kids are like, I just don't know what is where. And so, it happens more than what you think. Yeah. Yeah, sure does. Sure. Yeah. Right now, you like what you said about the opportunity for education. You know, I think um, um, it's amazing. I saw an article about Wall Street Journal talking about how, uh, how student debt crisis, I guess. And you see some of that, you know, they just, uh, you know, the one tough thing is you get paid everything or you can borrow everything for going to school. And if you don't make some good choices, you can get way too much borrowed for not and get the return on your money coming back out. So there's a lot of a lot of things there to go into that. That, like you said, it's kind of yeah. and everybody has their own level what opportunity is. You know how much they want to help or not help or how they make that work. But yeah, yeah. given stuff, I think usually is not real good. But no. And we're all guilty of that. I mean, we're all want to have the best for our kids and want to give them everything that. We can, um, but sometimes that's not the not the best long term plan. And everybody's trying to figure out what's the best they can at the time, and just kind of I don't know. It's it's uh, mm-hmm. not really all. Some, a lot of stuff's not gotten right either. It makes it a little tough. But or else we have written that book already. Probably I'm at. I think. But. Yep. <laughs> yep. Right. <laughs> Yeah, we wouldn't be bankers anymore. You know, one of the things I was going through in my notes too is um, how to. You know, one of the things the challenges I think of our farm businesses, I guess, maybe a long way to get the question, but is 
you know, scale seems to be more important, right? And how much, you know, the way the fit, you know, you have to be fairly efficient around your expenses on your farm. You have to be fairly efficient at, you know, uh, producing crops, good at producing crops and real livestock or whatnot. But, um, you know, it's a lot of times that um, entails having more people, right? Not just, you know, you, man, you yourself by yourself running the business. And, um, and especially, I guess, and, you know, you get the bigger families, you know, who's in charge of what gets to be a trick. And I really liked how they, she defined that in a chart. So everybody knows who's making the decisions, who do you talk, who do you consult with? And, you know, I thought that was kind of a, at least you have something on paper. So everybody kind of knows there's no guessing, right. Who's in charge of what. But. Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think part of her chart, if I remember right, was, um, so she kind of had four categories. If, if I remember right, she, like who's responsible. So, you know, ultimately the buck stops here type of person, like whatever category it is, they're in charge of that. Um, then another category was uh, work. Uh, the other was consult, and then informed. It's the four categories I remember. Um, and there can be multiple. I think there can only be one R per category. So if it's you know, which seed we're going to plant this year, it's probably one person going to make that decision. Uh, but he may consult. He or she may consult with other employees, but probably one one R. Yeah. Yeah, that's good too. Because some level, they may, you know, hey, let's. What do you think about this? Or, or even that inform, like, hey, this is what we're doing, so they know, right? And yeah, I thought that was. We said, uh, who's responsible? Who's consulting? Yeah. Informed, and what was it? Oh, during the work, that was the other one. Yeah, yeah. who's responsible for doing parts of the farm? But yeah, and you really think about it, there's just a lot of moving parts to a lot of farms, and especially if you know the ones that have uh, livestock involved in well or other kind of sideline type businesses like selling seed or who knows what else. That a lot of moving parts. So, mm-hmm. well, in the financial side, you know, not only dealing with the banks, who does that, or who handles crop insurance, or who handles FSA. You know, there's all that stuff that. Um, Probably most people would rather not do that if they had their choice. They'd probably be rather out, you know, on the production side, you know, whether it's on the livestock or the crop side, and they'd probably rather not do the, all the paperwork. But somebody has to do it. That's becoming more and more important um, these days. So it's good to know who's going to do that. Yeah, yeah. Probably you don't see kids coming out of school. I want to be. A, why do you want to be a farmer? Because I love going to the FSA office and filling out my crop insurance paperwork. But, yeah. but if you don't do that right, it could be disastrous. So. Yeah. Um, yeah, one of those things that, yeah, not what you like doing, but you, somebody's got to be pretty proficient at it. So, yeah, I was just going to say that leads into some other suggestions she had for running it like a business, not only so on the people side, that's a very important. So, you know, how many, how many farmers or family businesses do you know, Chris, that have job descriptions for those various employees? Yeah, I'd say very few really, huh? That, right. Yeah. Um, or compensation plans, you know, how are we going to incent our people? How are we going to pay them? How are we going to incent them? You know, how are we going to do evaluations? You know, I think I'm proud of what we do here at the bank. You know, we have a pretty good system of how we do our evaluations. We, it's very structured. Everybody knows how it works and we do it every quarter. So I, 
we're blessed with that. But how many small businesses are able to do that or, or maybe not able, they are able, but how many have those procedures in place? You know, they're doing evaluations with their employees and how's the employee know if they're doing a good job or not doing a good job or their strengths and weaknesses to how many people do that. I, I, I agree with you. Very few probably do today. Yeah. I'd hate to think how many actually evaluations are done, but, uh, and a lot of it, you know, I think, um, and it, I don't think here matters what business you're in, you know, that, you know, kind of busy in air quotes can get you in trouble. And, mm-hmm. and I know there's a lot of things where, you know, they'll, I guess they'll oxen ditch story, right. Or something went wrong today, whether it be, and it seems like in a farm, a lot of things can go that way where sprinkler breaks, motor goes out, tractor codes flop up and quits, you know, tractor quits running and, Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of things that can happen to get you distracted, but yeah, keeping track of what's important, I guess, is, is really pretty key, I would say. But yeah. Yep. Yeah. You, you know, everything, you know, those little things got to get fixed, but man, if you lose track of that big picture, you're uh, long-term going to really struggle. So yeah. Yeah. The odds are not in your favor. Yeah. That's for sure. And again, that's stuff that a lot of people would, <laughs> I think it's the fear if I've never done an evaluation, okay, how's this going to go? Especially if I have to bring up a topic that's not going to be a fun one, you know, again, most people would rather not do that. But I think once you do it, or if that business owner would do it and see the results, like, Oh God, I tackled that and didn't just, you know, wait for it to handle itself. Cause that never really works. But if you tackle it and you handle it appropriately, the um, benefit of that, I think is uh kind of like a weight off their shoulders, like, oh, that wasn't so hard. And I'm kind of looking forward to the next evaluation, you know, because it, it's going to improve our business. Yeah, a lot of those things, too, if you, know, if you do have an issue, if you tackle a first one's little, it's sure a lot better than when it gets huge and everybody gets, you know, emotional yeah. and all that kind of stuff as well. It gets, yeah. it gets a lot easier. Well, I think once you get in the rhythm of doing those, you know, it's, again, I'll reference the bank. We have a lot of rhythms we do around here, but on the evaluation of, and the people side, once you get in that rhythm, it's, you know, you kind of look forward to those. I know the employees look forward to them. Managers look forward to them. It's, a, it's just part of your everyday life. And it's, you know, it's not something strange and uh, it's very productive. So once you get in that rhythm, I think people, if they're not doing it now, I'd encourage them to get started. Um, you will, you will enjoy it eventually. It's a little hard the first time, but second, third times, it's much easier. Yeah. Well, a lot of it too, I think it's a good time to get, um, you know, like when you get that busy time get you, well, a lot of times you got to think strategically a little bit and also about, you know, for an employee and the employer both, you know, what do they want and what are they doing? And, you know, it's a really good time to sit back and think a little long-term too, I think, and get out of, you know, what do I really want out of this position? And, yeah, or from an employer, what do I really need from you? And yeah, the more you communicate, the better off you are. So, and you know, one thing I thought was interesting, and I think we've probably seen customers on both sides where, you know, we've had, you know, kids in the farm paid almost nothing. And then you see them where they get paid probably way too much. But, you know, and that's probably one advantage, you know, also of working for another business, you kind of figure out what the market is for, you know, whatever your skills are when you come back to that farm too. So mm-hmm. how to be fair, because sometimes that gets, um, yeah, there's no, not what the market-based 
uh, compensation is, I think, for somebody I thought was kind of pretty interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then what goes into the compensation, you know, is it just a salary or, you know, does the farm provide a vehicle or housing or gas in your vehicle, those health insurance, all those things that go into your compensation that sometimes people take those for granted, you know, but you're right. If you go out and work for somebody else, it kind of helps gauge, you know, am I getting paid fairly? Or am I getting too much or not enough? And why am I getting paid this amount? You know, I thought it was interesting too. One of the things you thought when you talk about housing and stuff is she thought you ought to own your own home or versus having a, I guess, farm provided house or whatnot, you know, there's mm-hmm. how much that security and, um, especially with a spouse. I, you know, I never thought about that that way, but, uh, yeah. how, how important that would be to have something that's yours, I guess. I don't know if that's, if I said that right or not, but yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah. If, okay. If the farm owns the house and this is where we live, what happens if something happens to the farm or, you know, if we don't, if we aren't part of the farm anymore, where are we going to live? That's not a good thing to be worried about when you go to bed at night. Um, so yeah, that's a good point. Cause a lot of times I think, I don't know what you see, but I, a lot of times the, at least the younger generation probably live in a house that's provided, you know, by the parents of the farm. Eventually they may buy it and own it, but it's usually later on in, in their careers that I've seen. Yeah. And sometimes some of those, especially the ones that, well, there's yeah, all kinds. Some of those houses aren't real <laughs> super up to snuff and some are really, really nice too. So they're kind of all the poor, right? Old base, I think. But. Well, I know we had a, I'll switch gears on you, but we had a, a panel if, if people, if people weren't at the seminar um, I thought we had a really good panel of experts. Um, you might remind me who we had, Chris, and then we can talk about the importance of them. Oh, wow. We had Michael Schaefer. He, he does uh, Merip- his firm as a Meriprise mm-hmm. Financial Planners, and uh, they actually work with us at the bank here, too. We have a couple of guys come through the branches. Um, oh, wow. I'm just drawing it to well, We had blank. Jennifer uh, Burning. She's an accountant yep. with Adams Brown. Well, it used to be Adams Brown, Baron and Ball. Now I think it's just Adams Brown, maybe shortened it, but she's an accountant. I think she lives in, was it Hutchison? I think she's in Hutchison now. Yeah. yeah but they have offices spread out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she kind of grew up on a farm too, if I remember right. right. Um, oh, wow. Our attorney guy. I just lost his name too. Was it? Um, yeah. I don't remember his name, either, but he was really good. Yeah, kidding, so we'll have to get a plug in for him right. later. But um, and one of the challenges I think we had, even you know, uh, it's hard to find somebody very close sometimes. Experts mm-hmm. and and um, uh, Wasserman, I think was his name, but is out of he's a, he was out of Salina, and he was the the one we could get to come help, and and he had some good examples of what it would cost to do things and things he thinks sees the most important, but. Oh, they call them what living wills or yes. whatnot, yep. essentially, yep. right? There you go. And um, you know, you never think of internet. Well, especially like my situation, you know, when we did our wills and all that stuff, you know, uh, my kids were, I don't know, they were they were minors. I can't think how old they were, but you know, they're you know what twenty five, twenty one, and uh, if something happened. Then there's like. I have no say essentially. Right. <laughs> so, uh, as a parent, even though they, you know, they're not married, they, you know, so, you know, to me, still part of our family or they are part of our family, but 
you know, still like, you know, that's my kids, but they're old enough. I don't have a say. And so mm-hmm. what happens yep. if they got yep. in some situation and, you know, medically, you know, what are their wishes and how do you handle that or who can do what? And, um, uh, yeah, he gets some pretty sticky wickets pretty fast, but really fast. Yep. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned cost. Um, you know, that's one thing I think a lot of the audience had questions to them, you know, what's it going to cost to go set up an estate plan or talk with an attorney or accountant or financial planner? And, and you know, sometimes it's the, it depends answer, which I understand that it depends because every situation is different, but, uh, but to me, it's more of an investment, you know, as I don't care if it costs a thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand, it's probably all relative in the size of your operation, but man, it's money well spent to have that plan in place. And, and deal with somebody with experience, you know, like Mr. Wasserman or Jennifer, Michael, you know, they've all got a lot of experience and they, they specialize in those things. So, you know, I'd encourage people, you don't have to use them, but anybody that, you know, ask the bank, ask your friends or whomever to get some references on people if you, if you don't have one today. But like I said, they specialize in those things. They're going to help you walk through it. Um, they've done it many, many times. And so... Um, I'd encourage people to reach out to those experts and hopefully there's one close, but sometimes you do have to reach out for a little farther, especially if you're in a business, maybe that's not a farm, but maybe some kind of specialized industry that, you know, there's experts for that particular industry, whether it's attorneys or accountants. Um, those people are well worth it in the long run. Yeah. And a lot of times too, and I know that's one thing Jennifer works on quite a bit. It's not just being a tax accountant either. Um, it's actually helping you know, uh, how do you financially measure how your business is doing? And that's um, one deal. I think we kind of well, maybe see if you agree or not that consistently we can see some of our customers could do a lot better at as we go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They manage well, a lot, of, a lot of people, because this is the way grandpa did it and dad did it, their number one goal was to not pay any tax. And so we managed our whole business around not paying tax and, I don't want to pay more taxes than anybody. I'm, I understand that, but lots of times that's not the only way to manage your business. It's it's one component, but it shouldn't be the only component. Unfortunately, some people are in that mode, and um, if they get a good accountant or advisor that can help them, okay, that's fine. But let's look at what the business is doing. You know, let's look at our enterprise analysis and see: Are we making money? Are we not making money? Or you know, we, I don't want to wait till it's December 30th and do I need to go buy something so I don't have to pay tax? You know, I know that would never happen, but in theory, I think it may happen sometimes, Chris. Every once in a while, I've heard stories of that. Yeah. 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 It's one of those too that you think, yeah, you're making long-term decisions to avoid a short-term pain. And sometimes that long-term consequence is out there for a long time and you just don't. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of like you. A lot of people, they just, yeah, it seems like I grew up and they were always tax planning, trying to figure, you know, but a lot of it's, you know, how do I do this without, you know, how do you tax plan, not, you know, pay some or pay enough to uh, get things going and then without making decisions that, yeah, that could actually kind of cripple you for several years too. But yeah. So Maz, I'm going through the lists of things here. What other... I guess if you had like the one thing, I guess somebody needed to do, what would that be? Um, well, my number one thing is just get started. You know, if you haven't gotten started with any of the things we've talked about, I, I would encourage you just take that first step and 
get started. If you're confused out of where to get started, give us a call. We'll help you. But um, that would be my first thing, Chris, is just take that step to get started. Um, Start that conversation. Include the people that need to be included early and often. You know, I think sometimes we try to do things ourselves and have it all figured out perfect before we kind of tell everybody else the plan. And uh, sometimes that's probably not the best solution. You know, start the conversation, whether with your spouse, your kids, your partners in the business, whomever. Just start that very first conversation. I like that. Just get started. And, you know, the, the segue with that, I think a little bit sometimes that. I guess as the owner of the business, you know, I, I think don't feel shy about telling everybody what you want that to be, what your intention is, you know. Um, you know, a lot of guys spent, uh, um, you know, a huge portion of life building something. And uh, I say just don't be shy and saying this is what I want it to be. And and uh, don't let your uh, kids guess, I guess, because who knows <laughs> what happens if everybody's guessing. <laughs> yep. Right. Yep. I like that. I like that a lot. Well, we'll wrap up here, Matt. Like Matt mentioned, um, you know, one of the things we really work on here at the bank is um, making sure we can help facilitate um, you guys to make your, you know, make whatever you want to happen, happen. And uh, there's a lot of things that things that pop up and sometimes just need somebody to talk to. And, and so uh, we, we can be that someone to talk to and then help find those experts to do all the legal stuff. So cause nobody likes it when I start practicing law or <laughs> doing stuff like that. So I got to avoid that. But. <laughs> so with that, uh, hey, we'll catch you guys here in the in another couple of weeks. And Matt, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Chris. Thanks for listening to DreamMaker, making dreams come true. We'd love to connect with you. Find us on social media at FNB Windmill and online at FNB-Windmill.com. Heard a topic that could enrich someone else's life too? Be sure to share this podcast with friends and family and check back regularly for new episodes or subscribe so you never miss a show. See you soon. See you soon.